you know, that, that famous hymn, He Lives, I would like to add a little addition to the end of it. That yes, I know Jesus lives because He lives in my heart. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But that's not the only way I know He lives. I know He lives because there was a tomb that they went to that Sunday. And there was nobody in it. I know He lives because He appeared to 500 people at one time, most of whom at the time of Paul's writing of 1 Corinthians were still alive. It could be confirmed. I know that He lives because He appeared to the apostles. I know that He lives because He physically ascended to heaven from whence He shall come again to judge the quick and the dead for those of you who know the Apostles' Creed. I know that Jesus lives because Jesus physically rose. He lives in my heart, but that's not the only place He lives. He lives forever in His resurrected body at the right hand of the Father interceding for the saints. Jesus is truly alive, Stapleton. Jesus is truly alive. If you're here today and you think that I'm going to give some brief treatise on how we should just have happy thoughts that Jesus is risen in our hearts and so we should share the resurrection joy that the Messiah has given us that the same way He rose in our hearts, we can hope... No, Jesus is physically alive. That's the reason we're here today. That yes, I pray that the, the, the Son of Man will rise in your heart, but the only way that can happen is that He rose from the grave. And I want to share with you this morning the truth that you can live with Jesus in the same way Jesus lives right now. That I want to offer you a promise of the same resurrection that our Lord Jesus experienced that first Easter Sunday morning. And I want to give you the offer that if you are willing to die with Christ, you can have the promise of living with Christ. Um, so, if you will stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in the 6th chapter of Romans, and we're going to read verses 5 through 11. Verses 5 through 11 of the 6th chapter of Romans. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Therefore you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, thank you so much for the resurrection, and I pray that as I open this Bible and I preach on it, Lord, that you would fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit, that I may communicate the gospel clearly to all who are gathered here today, and that they would understand by the time they leave, if they do not now, that if they are willing to come to Calvary and die with Jesus, then they can rise with him the same way he did on that first Easter Sunday morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, I want you to see this morning in this sermon, by the time you leave, I want you to see three benefits that followers of Christ get from His resurrection. Now let me start out by saying this. And I'm going to reiterate it several times this morning. 
What I preach this morning, every benefit, every blessing, every promise belong to followers of Christ alone. If you are here this morning and you have not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what I say is no less true. There's no my truth and your truth and their truth and this truth. There is the truth. It is equally true for you, but you can only benefit from it if you've trusted Christ. You say, well, I haven't trusted Christ. Well, you're in the right place today, brother or sister. That can be remedied. But I want to explain to you who are believers the benefits that you have in Christ. And for those of you who have not trusted Christ, I want to explain to you how you can benefit from trusting Christ. First, I want us to look at verses 5-6. through six, That followers of Christ take part in His death. Verses 5 and 6. Paul says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. This is a conditional statement. Do you understand what I mean if I say something as a conditional statement? If Josh eats too much Easter lunch, then Josh will feel bad. Conditional statement. I will not feel bad if I do not eat too much Easter lunch. If we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. If we are united with Christ in His death on the cross, then we will also be united with Christ in His resurrection. But there's a second half of this, isn't there? If we are not united with Christ in His death at the cross, then what are we also not united with Christ in? His resurrection. So if you want the benefits of being able to celebrate the resurrection, you've got to have, you've got to have died with Him on the cross. I want to extend that to you, that followers of Christ truly do take part in His death. How do I know that? Paul says in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. How do I know that if I die with Jesus, I will live forever with Him? Paul just tells us two reasons why we know that. One, our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with. And two, that we would no longer be slaves of sin. What does this mean? Let me give you true statements about every single human being under this roof. That deep inside all of us, there exists a true and real wickedness. We are bad people. Okay? So let me, let me put this out to pasture. If, <clears throat> if you've got this abiding thought in your mind that church is where all the goody two-shoes get together to talk about how good we are and how bad they are, let me put this out your mind. Stapleton Baptist Church is where we all get together and talk about how bad we are and how good He is for loving us anyway. Okay? We have a true, deep, abiding wickedness in all of us. Um, none of us are exempt. This is the body of sin that Paul is talking about. It is our inherent sinnerness. Every single one of us has it. And this wickedness is best exposed when we come into contact with the Word of God. 
uh, we've been pre- well, we've been going through Galatians thus far uh, on Sunday mornings, and if you haven't been here, that's okay. Really quickly, what Galatians gets at is the rest of this book right here. If you've ever read it and it's made you uncomfortable because you go, hmm, let's just think Ten Commandments. Most of us in here have heard them, at least some of them. Even if we can't remember all of them, we've heard them. Have you kept all of them? Have you ever lied? Raise your hand if you've never lied. <laughs> I got y'all, didn't I? <laughs> Raise your hand if you've never lied. If you raised your hand, you can now put it down because you just did. You've lied. Every single one of us has broken at least one of them. And the Bible tells us that if you've broken one, you've broken them all. Because the same God made all the rules. So if you've offended him at one point, you've offended him at all of them. We have a deep abiding sinful wickedness in each of us. And the Bible makes us uncomfortable because when you truly honestly read it with open eyes and a serious heart, you realize that the Bible demands of you what you cannot give. And you'll have two responses to this. When you hear the word of God and it points out this wickedness in you, you could, A, rebel against it. You could do that a couple of different ways. You could reject the messenger. You could say, who is this little skinny boy up here telling me that I'm a sinner, that I'm a bad... He doesn't know me. He doesn't know my life. He doesn't know what I've dealt with. Who does he think he is to tell me what's right and what's wrong? You can rebel against the messenger. When it's not my message. I didn't... I'm not smart enough to write this. This is not my book. This is just the book I preach. This is God's book. So you, you could rebel against God's word by rebelling against the messenger and putting it off on him. You could rebel against God's word by rejecting the book. Oh, that's a multiple thousand year old book. It's a book from a backward time. This is 2018. I don't see why I need to listen to a book that's that old, that, that's outdated. We as a society have progressed beyond this. Don't we know science now? Don't we know all this stuff? You could rebel against the book. Both of these rebellions are based on the same premise that we decide what is true based on what suits us best. That the Bible presents truth to you Namely, the truth that we are wicked, broken people. And we can rebel against that. And it doesn't matter how we rebel. We rebel because we don't want to accept the truth that the Bible has to say about us. We would rather believe that we're good people. It's more comfortable to believe that we're good people, that we're straight-laced, that we do the best we can, and that's enough. And the message of the Bible is that your best is not good enough. It never has been, and it never will be. But maybe we recognize that. Maybe we realize the truthfulness of God's word, but we're scared about what that means about ourselves. That if we are really wicked people, that we come to the conclusion that there is something really messed up about us. Romans chapter 7, verses 21 through 25 says, I find then a law. That evil, that abiding sin, that wickedness in us, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. 
Don't most of us will to do good most of the time? Like we want to do the right thing. We want to be good people. I don't know if you've ever woken up in the morning and said, you know what, I want to be a horrible person today. Sometimes somebody might say something or do something to you and you might be like, I really want to be a horrible person right now. But you don't ever start out your day, I would think, saying, I want to be a horrible person. You wake up in the morning and say, I want to do all right today. Paul says he's found that there is evil present with him, the one who wills to do good. He says, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, that we know good things are good. Have you ever met somebody that does not claim to be a Christian, but does good things? Absolutely you have. Sure you have. We don't have a, Christians don't have a monopoly on doing good things. You know what that happens? It's because we're made in the image of God. And good is good for everybody. Not just for Christians. We delight in the law of God and our inward man because we know what good is. But, verse 23 of Romans 7, I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is that moment when you know what good is, you know what right is, but you know you would much rather do wrong. And you say, I know what good is, I know what wrong is, I know what the Bible says, but. Here's a fun fact about the word but. Anytime you you speak a sentence and you interject the word but in the sentence, it negates everything that came before it. So, I know that this is wrong, and that God would rather me not do it, and that the Bible says this is evil, but... See, none of that matters now. Now you're going to give the reason you're going to do it. That is the law of sin that is present in our members. Every single one of us. In our natural human state, we are bound and captive to sin. And Paul says that that is going to war against you. That is this body of sin. And Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Sin is inextricably linked to death. Romans 6.23, the first half of it says, the wages of sin is... Death. Sin and death forever will go together because sin leads to death. But let me tell you that followers of Christ take part in Christ's death. What does that mean? All that sin, all that inner wickedness, all that evil, all that slavery to the whims of your flesh that war against knowing what right and wrong is in your mind. Christ did what you could not do in his earthly life. He lived never doing what was wrong, always doing what was right, perfectly before God. And then the death that he did not deserve, and we did, he marched up that mountain carrying across the Calvary, and he died the death that we ought to have died. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, what happens is that you get In the eyes of God, your death took place on Calvary 2,000 years ago when you come to Christ. Your sin, the death that it deserved, was paid by Christ. Your sin debt has been paid off. 
It's done. That death is over with. That Christ died on your behalf. That followers of Jesus take part in Christ's death. That's why Paul says that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with. That we're no longer slaves of sin. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I say in a very real biblical sense, you're dead. Your old man's dead. It's gone. Your old woman as well. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, this is not something that only men get to do. I'm just using biblical language. This applies to men and women. Your old man died on the cross. Your old woman died on the cross. Who you used to be. Your sinful nature died on the cross with Christ. As a result, you are now free from sin and its penalty. Followers of Christ Share, are united, take part in his death. Second, because followers of Christ take part in his death, followers of Christ also get to take part in his freedom. Look at verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now we got to get deep here for just a minute. This verse, if you don't get deep, can give you some trouble. Because there are plenty of people over the course of the Bible that their death in no way freed them from their sin. That God says, you died in your sin. Death is not a get out of jail free card for sin. If you die in your sin, your physical death is the least of your worries. So in what sense does dying free one from sin? The word freed... In the original Greek, it's actually the word dedikiotai. Isn't that a fun word? Dedikiotai. It's from the, the root word dikeo. And it means to justify or declare righteous. In fact, this is the only time in the New Testament, at least in the New King James Version and in several other versions I checked as well, it is the only time this word is translated freed. In one sense, everybody who dies is freed of sin because a dead man can't sin anymore. A dead man can't do anything anymore. He's dead. But in another sense, dying doesn't free you from sin's consequences. It just frees you from the ability to do it. So it can't just be talking about people who generally die are freed from their sin. What death justifies us from our sin? The death we were just talking about. Christ's. Christ's death justifies us from our sins. Look at what um, he said, Paul says in verse 8. Now if we died with who? With Christ. We believe we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. When Christ died and he took your sin down with him, he defeated your death in the process. I quoted an ancient Christian resurrection hymn this morning. I'll quote again because I think it's so beautiful. Christ has risen from the dead, trampling over death by death, and upon those who are in the tombs bestowing life. 
that when Christ died, He took death down with Him. And guess what? Once your death is paid, once your sin's paid for, once your sin death is died, guess what? Guess who no longer has a hold on you? Death. Guess what you're no longer a slave to? Sin. You are truly, really, honestly free. That Christ's death and His resurrection, the fact that He really, honestly died, He did not swoon. He didn't fake it. It wasn't somebody else on the cross. He was really dead. And they really put His physical body in a tomb. And they really rolled a rock in front of it. And they really sealed it. And they really put a Roman guard in front of it. And a Roman guard, by the way, was not one guy. It was not two guys. I think it was about 25. A Roman guard is not just... They didn't put a guard. They put a guard. Okay? Nobody stole his body. He really physically walked out of that grave 2,000 years ago. Because he did that, death got hamstrung. Death is now broken, a shell of its former self, because when you come to Christ and you are united with Him in the likeness of His death, Paul says you are united with Him in the likeness of His resurrection. You have a promise that because He died and rose, one day you shall rise as well. That that resurrection is that guarantee for you. Hebrews 9, 27, 28 says, And it was appointed, uh, it, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. That His death on your behalf is all that you need to be forgiven of your sins. And His resurrection guarantees that you will enjoy that forgiveness of sin in a resurrected body just like He did. It is a guarantee. Mark 10.45 says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom. For many. That you are free. Y'all ever watch these TV shows? They're generally cop shows. Where somebody kidnaps somebody and they take them away and they hide them somewhere. And then somebody gets a phone call from a burner phone and they mask their voice and say, You can pay me a million dollars if you ever want to see so and so living in. That's ransom. That there is a price for someone to be released from bondage. There was a price on our heads. And God did not kidnap us, by the way, that we were not being held by someone who did not have the right to hold us, that our sin bound us to death. There was a price on our heads, and it had to be paid. We were guilty. The death penalty hung over our heads. And for us to be free, someone had to die on our, in our place. That was Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection has set you free from the penalty that your sin had on your head. Let me just remind you, if you've never trusted Christ, I can't say the penalty that hung over your head in past tense. If you've never trusted Christ, you are guilty before God now. The death penalty hangs over your head today. That you are in danger today. But praise God, you are in church on Resurrection Sunday. 
And you get to hear the message of the crucified and risen Lord who came to offer you salvation, who came to offer you freedom from that sin and that penalty that hangs over your head. You can be free once and for all. So followers of Christ take part in his death. Followers of Christ take part in his freedom. And finally, praise God, followers of Christ take part in his life. I want you to look at verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, if, you, if you're looking for your application, what do I do with what you're preaching today, Pastor? Paul says this is your application. That the gospel is true. The death, the burial, and the resurrection is true. What Christ has accomplished for those who place their faith in Him is true. That He really did take your sins upon Himself on the cross and give you His righteousness if you will but come to Him. That is all true. But if you've come to Him, you need to remember that this is true. Christian, listen to me. You ought not ever live in defeat. You ought not ever live... Let me tell you, I think Satan's number one weapon against believers in Christ is honestly spiritual and sometimes physical depression. And while I'm here, let me say this. Please, for the love of all that is good in this world and, and for the sake of your witness as a Christian, if somebody is struggling with depression, don't tell them, well, if you just trusted God more, it'd go away. Please don't do that. That person's supernatural, literally through the power of the Holy Spirit, that person's supernatural dependence on God might be the only thing getting them through. They may not be suffering depression because they don't trust God. They might be suffering depression because they do, and Satan hates it. Yes, there, and there is such a thing as physical depression. That is, it, it is just as real a disease as if you have to take heart medicine for. You wouldn't stop taking your heart medicine, so somebody who has depression may need to take their medicine for that. It is a physical issue. But there, are, there is such a thing as spiritual depression too. Let me tell you how that works. This is when Satan comes to you and goes, God doesn't want anything to do with you. You're useless to him. You failed too many times. You screwed up too many times. You know what you are. You see it every day in the morning. When you wake up, you're a sinner. You are disgusting. God doesn't want anything to do with you. And you know what? Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father saying, I bled for that. They're free. They're mine. Satan does not want you to know that you're free. You ever been to the circus? Any of y'all ever been to the circus? I love cotton candy. It tastes horrible, but for some reason I can't stop eating it. I guess it's just because it dissolves in your mouth when you put it in your mouth. It's wonderful. It's kind of like one of my baby puffs that I tried the other day for my daughter that I shouldn't admit that I ate one of, but I did. <laughs> tastes like a piece of Lucky Charms with a little side of sweet potato. It's wonderful. But if you go to the circus, 
Have you ever seen, you ever seen the elephants, how big they are? They're huge. Some of y'all probably know where I'm going with this. Why would an elephant that is that strong, that is that powerful, be so easily controlled by a little, little, little person? It doesn't matter how big the person is. To an elephant, they're a little person. Okay? This is because when they're little, they put a little shackle around their leg that chains them to where they need to stay. When they're little, they're not strong enough to break it. They try, but they can't. As they get bigger, they just leave the shackle on. Chain doesn't get any bigger. The shackle has to just because the leg is, but it's not any stronger. But do you know what? By the time the elephant's grown up, the elephant has ceased doing what? Trying. The elephant has learned over the years, I'm powerless. I can't be free. I'm stuck here. And now you can't enjoy the circus anymore because you'll just be thinking about elephants in captivity. But the same thing is true of the gospel, isn't it? That Satan wants you to think that there's no possible way you can be free. You can't break the power of sin. You've never been able to do it before. And Jesus is screaming at you from heaven, you've got my spirit in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you if you are a Christian. Sin is dead and defeated. Death has no sting. It is openly mocked by heaven. And Satan does not want you to know that because as soon as you know that you are no longer shackled by sin, you are no longer under the thumb of of death, you are no longer defeated, guess what starts happening? The kingdom of God starts being lived through you. And he's powerless to stop it. So he does his absolute level best to convince you that that little shackle around your leg that death and sin used to be is enough to still hold you in your Christ life that Jesus has given you. It's not. So Paul says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. That when you died on the cross with Calvary, or with on the cross with Christ at Calvary, when you identified with him in his death, you died to sin. It no longer power over on you, but reckon yourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. That you are no longer shackled by sin. That Sun Tzu, uh, the famous Chinese war general, said in the first chapter of his book, The Art of War, that all warfare is based on deception. If you want to beat your enemy, have your enemy believe what you want them to believe. He says, if you're strong, make your enemy believe you're weak so he'll underestimate you. If you're weak, have your enemy believe you're strong so that he'll overestimate you. If you're going to go right, have him believe you're going to go left. If you're going to go left, have him believe you're going to go right. If you're well-trained and well-ordered, have him believe you're disordered and have no idea what you're doing so that they'll rush in and just break on you like water on the rocks. All warfare is based on deception. Spiritual warfare is no different. Satan is the deceiver. He doesn't want you to know that Christ has provided for your freedom. 
Sin is disarmed. Death is toothless in the face of the resurrection. Jesus and his church are victorious. Not will be. Are. Current reality. But if you forget that, you will live your life like the cross never happened and like the first Easter Sunday never happened. Remember that Jesus died for you and remember that Christ rose for you and walk in that power. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death and we can't just stop there. There's a second half of that verse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have come to Christ, you possess eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So stop living like you're dead. Stop going back to that sin that so easily ensnares you. Stop going back to that spiritual depression where you allow Satan to tell you how worthless you are and how much of a failure you are and start listening to God who says, I love you and I have grand plans for you and you are mine and you are no longer a failure. You are no longer dead. You're no longer shackled by your sin. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Here's the truth. That you used to be a slave to sin. You used to be a slave to death. You used to be bound up by fear of it. But what Jesus did when He was crucified, buried, and rose again was He picked you up and transferred you from that kingdom of death and slavery and defeat and evil. And He picked you up and put you in a kingdom of life and light and goodness and freedom. And that is where you live now. Don't ever forget that, Christian. Non-Christian in here, let me explain this to you. That that kingdom of life and light and hope and goodness, that is only extended to you if you come to Jesus Christ. And that is the opportunity that I'm extending to you right now. This is the part of the service that we affectionately refer to as the invitation. This is not me inviting you to become a member of the church. Though effectively that's what would happen. This is me inviting you to become a citizen of the kingdom of God by dying. Dying to yourself. Dying to your sin. Dying to death. By going to Jesus Christ in faith and saying, Lord Jesus, I want to be united with you in your death on Calvary so that I can be united with you in your resurrection, which is what we're celebrating today on Easter. If you have never had a moment in your life where you have come to Jesus Christ and said, I am a lost sinner, Lord, have mercy on me, save me. Today is for you. That Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life in your place. He died the death that we ought to have died. He, buried, he was buried and he rose three days later on that first Easter Sunday morning, triumphant over death, hell, sin, and the grave. And he lives to intercede for any of those, any of those who would place their faith in him. And he will come again to get us one day. Taking those who have died in Christ first, they will rise, and then we will meet them to get, meet with them together in the air, and so we will be with the Lord always. That's what's going to happen. 